Welcome on in the Tony Parks Podcast right here on the Utah Podcast Network. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Man, crazy times, right? No doubt about that. We're hoping to have sports back. We're hoping to have live games back in action, that being team sports. The way that we're accustomed to that happening, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. As always, you can uh, be a part of the show. I love all your feedback. Thanks so much for the emails, whether it be uh, supportive messages uh, for the podcast, even uh, some great suggestions that have been coming in as well. I take all of that into consideration, so thank you for that. And then, uh, yeah, you can uh, email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Be a part of the show on all forms of social media at TonyParks801. One. All right, we're going to get into something today that I think is really interesting over the last uh, you know, few weeks especially, but specifically the last few days. What an eye-opening set of circumstances and the way things have twisted in two different sports. Uh, lifting the curtain today is a little bit different. Uh, not as much about sports, but it will tie in, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about as I uh, go through it. It will tie into the sports conversation that we're going to have today. Um, one of my very first jobs ever, I mean, you all remember your first job, right? Like you, you know, what you're learning and, you know, figuring it out and then you get a paycheck and then you, you're learning so many different things so quickly. Well, one of my very first jobs, I was a waiter at a place called Amelia's, right? It was at the airport holiday inn and the place was really nice. Uh, it's still there today. Amelia's, I believe it's a, a Ramada now. And I, I remember being there because I loved that, wow, I, I can get cash like right away, which was great when you were 16, and the tips were good, you know, and when you're 16 years old, and the tips don't have to be spectacular, but they're good. I started there uh, in the fall of 98, I believe, and so I was just turning 16 years old. Get that first job. Amelia's was the name of that restaurant. The Sitting Duck Lounge was the name of the bar right next to it. And I used to get in trouble all the time because I would uh, come in uh, the side door of the Sitting Duck Lounge. It was connected to the restaurant. And I would catch games that were going on <laughs> during my shift. And, and I always made sure my tables were taken care of. But the problem was I'm not 21 at the time. So I cannot be in there legally. And it was a very serious thing. So I remember one Sunday afternoon, I'm standing in there. I'm watching Jalen Rose hit a game winner for the Pacers. Over the Lakers, it was in that 99 season. I was all excited about it, and I turn around, and there's my boss, Martha, standing right there, staring at me in the face and saying, you, out of here now. Now, eventually, uh, they put a TV in the neighboring lobby, so that's where I would go to watch the games, uh, usually the jazz games uh, during that lockout-shortened season. So I still remember, like, hyperventilating in that lobby watching the Jazz and Kings in game five of that 99 first round. Um, Vlade had a chance to, to hit a game winner at the end of regulation, if I remember right. There was like this little mini hook shot that he put up from like 12 or 15 feet and he missed. And I remember just my heart stopping at that moment. And then Shandon Anderson was great in overtime and the Jazz survived. And survived was the right way to put that. They just didn't look like a championship team for a while. And then they eventually lost to the Blazers in the second round. Anyway, separate discussion. Um, so we used to get some celebrities in there, too. Uh, I waited at a table once when the guy signed the bill to his room, and the name was Stephen King. And I laughed, like, hey, look, it's the book author. Ha, 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 thinking, like, this guy has the same name. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there named Stephen King. And the other guy working there at the time, <laughs> Edwin, 
He, that was his name. Edwin goes, yeah, that, that's him. He comes in every now and again. I, I was floored. I'm like, no, that's not the real Stephen King, right? The author that I'm reading the books of, that's Stephen King. They're like, yeah, yeah, he comes in all the time. Kind of keeps to himself, sits there, looks out the window. Nice guy. Never says much, you know? And I, I didn't know what Stephen King actually looked like. So it was during the 2004 World Series. It was after the Red Sox came back from 3-0 against the Yankees in the LCS, but then it was the World Series against the Cardinals. And I'm in a restaurant, and they kept showing, and I'm like, Who, who's that guy? They keep showing this guy. And the person that I was with goes, oh, that's Stephen King. And I'm like, you know what? That was him. Okay. It had been about five years, but I'm like, you know what? That, that was Stephen King. How about that? Um, so it was cool. Kathy Ireland was there one time. Uh, came in late, about a half an hour before closing, ordered nachos, got out of there. And then um, uh, Blink-182 came in one time, uh, randomly. I was not there for that one, though. Uh, but anyway, like, so we used, to, we used to get some celebrities here and there that would, that would stop in um, with all the different stuff that they were doing. Place was great to work for a number of reasons. Money was good, environment was good, but the management was better than any of us realized. And you don't realize that sometimes until you have certain moments take place. One Friday night, mid-August, it's about 10.52. We're just about to close at 11. And in the door comes a huge group of people. And they're all together. They were with some group, like a team or something. I have no idea. Uh, Just a massive group of people all together. It had to have been 50-plus people. Uh, I don't know if it was their travel day. I have no idea if they came in on the airplane. No idea. But they, th- this would happen, though, when you're in the airport hotel industry. You would just get moments where big groups of people would come in. They just usually wouldn't be in the same gathering. Like, um, maybe they came off the same flight, but they're all not together, right? And our hostess sees this group of people come in. She immediately grabs the curtain. It was almost like one of those uh, curtains that divide up the different rooms that you'll see in... Uh, LDS churches and stuff like that. It's this big old curtain. And she closes the curtain that borders the lobby uh, that separates the restaurant from the front desk area. So immediately jumps all over this. And right away, the person in charge of that group is pissed. I mean, pissed. They come walking over. They open up the curtain. They demand that they're going to be served. They've had a long day, and they are coming into the restaurant. They, they've got, you know, 50, 60 people, maybe even 70. I don't know. It was just an enormous group, and they were starving, starving. So there was confusion about exactly what to do because technically they're on time, and they shouldn't be refused service. And we were also the only place that we really knew of that was open in that surrounding area. And getting downtown at that time with even four people was going to be tough because of the construction that was going on down there with the Olympics uh, coming and all of that. So getting all of those people anywhere else was going to be impossible. And I guess they, they could have ordered Domino's or something, but that, that's not what they wanted. So while all of this conflict is taking place, you have cooks that are pissed because they want to get out of there, and they've already shut down the broilers. You have, you know, front desk person who really doesn't want to deal with the nightmare that's about to happen. I'm a server standing there going, yeah, I would enjoy the money, but I don't know how I'm going to serve all these people at the same time. I have no idea. So Martha, the manager, steps in and she, she calms everybody down. She gets Terry, the, um, the hostess, gets her to calm down. 
gets the guy that's in charge of this group to calm down. Everybody calms down. She says, just give me 10 minutes. We'll get all this taken care of for you. You're all at the lobby. Continue to do whatever it takes to check in. Go put your bags in your room. Meet me down here in 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, you're going to get all this taken care of? How? Like, how are you going to do this? She walks right into the kitchen. She told one cook to keep getting everything ready to leave. Told the other cook to start putting together a bunch of cold cuts, mayo, mustard, lettuce, tomatoes, salads, fruits, vegetables. She starts putting together a bunch of pizzas for the oven that we had. Uh, We actually had a pizza hut inside of that restaurant. It was kind of cool. But she told all the people in the lobby that we could host all of them, buffet style, sandwiches, pizza, canned sodas, pitchers and carafes of water. Like, that's the way it's going to go. And that's the very best we can do. That's what she tells them. And she offered them a price per person. Very reasonable. And I forget what it was, but it it was very reasonable. So she then let me know as the only server, that the table would have automatic gratuity since it was a massive table of so many people. So then asked that the table prepay for everything so we could close everything down so the hostess could go home. Amazing work. It was amazing work. The cooks went home about 10 minutes later than they would have. Hostess went home about 10 minutes later than she would have. I was the server. I went home about an hour or so later than I would have, but the $135 that I made in that hour, it was about $135 or so, and what I did was refill water pitchers, replenish uh, the buffet stuff, bussing the tables, all of that. It was well worth it. I mean, so the the money was going to be worth my time. The extra 10 minutes wasn't too much to ask for everybody else. I was 16 years old. I was going to make a ton of money there. And she did everything she could to help out the scenario, helping out the cooks, helping out me, doing whatever it took. It was incredible. Everybody won. Wasn't a perfect answer, but there was no perfect answer. So she had to go with best, right? So the big big group that uh, came to eat, uh, they were happy about it too. I guess they probably could have just ordered, like I said, Domino's or something, but they, they weren't too happy when they saw our hostess hurry and close that door. That did not look good. And they were about to be refused service and they could clearly tell that it was a situation where we were just trying to escape and get out of there with convenience when they were the customer. So it was, it was great work. It was fabulous work by a a woman named Martha. And and that is actually not her real name, but she didn't want me to give out her actual name. So Martha did a fabulous job and I'm still friends with her to this day. And we talk about kind of that situation and managing a crisis. The following year, I take a job at the airport Hilton, not too far from the Holiday Inn that I previously worked at. I took that job because it was busier and the tips were fantastic. So I wanted more money. So I was a server there. And then I did room service on Sunday nights because you couldn't order alcohol to your room on Sunday nights. So therefore, I could be the room service person. And by the way, that rule and that law, oh man, did that make some people unhappy when I used to take those calls and have to inform them, I mean, they would just, you could just hear them or see them rolling their eyes in complete frustration. Uh, so I forget the name of the manager when I started working there because it was shortly thereafter a woman by the name of Stacy takes over the food and beverage director position. She was brand new, brand new. She had never even worked in the industry as far as we knew. Uh, this was also her first time ever being in a management position. And it showed in some ways. 
she actually was uh, related to somebody else who worked in uh, management much higher up the ladder. I forget the exact connection. I just remember she just was very inexperienced, and, and it showed. She was very territorial. If you made any suggestion, she would tell you, you know, don't tell me how to do my job. Like, that was her thing. She was tough to work with. She kind of had this, this sort of, um, uh, she put up a lot of barriers, you know. She just was really tough to work with. So most of us were able to kind of work around it because we had a lot of really experienced servers, cooks, bartenders, room service people. So it really wasn't a problem day to day. Like, we could work around it and, and through it. So anyone that's worked in the hotel industry understands that really dead weekends exist on holiday weekends sometimes, and one of them is Thanksgiving weekend. It's a very dead weekend. There's pretty much no one there. Uh, I always had to work the full Thanksgiving weekend. It was kind of part of the responsibility, and you would take um, uh, turns on shifts and things like that. And, and it, it, I mean, there were nights where not one person came into the restaurant. So it's, it's a dead weekend except Sunday night. The Sunday night after Thanksgiving was always one of the craziest nights ever. Flight delays, cancel flights, people being rerouted. Always a night that you wanted to make sure you were on your toes. So I get there Sunday. Now we've been there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's dead as a doornail, whatever. People going home early. It was great in that way. But now it's, it's Sunday night. It's showtime. You got to be ready. So I get there that night. And I start pre-packaging salads, desserts, uh, trays of other stuff, pizzas, like, like trying to prepare as much as I can ahead of time to save time whenever that storm arrived. I've been through this before. Stacy walks in and asks, like, she's like, well, what are you doing? What's all of this? And I, I told her why I was doing it. And she goes, no, no, it's been dead all weekend. Put all this stuff back. I want you to put all this stuff back right now. And then I explained to her, you know, why the Sunday after Thanksgiving is one of the busiest nights, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I knew from having experienced this. And I, I told her, hey, even last year, year before, this, the, you know, this is kind of how it goes. And she shoots back with, you know, I'm really getting sick and tired of you telling me how to do my job. So I didn't say another word. I just placed all the stuff she told me to put back into the fridges I put them in the fridges that were designated for the banquet, so I kept all the prepackaged stuff together. I just put them in a different fridge so she wouldn't know where they were. Uh, we had a huge amount of space to work with, so there's no way she would know it was there. Uh, and throughout the night, she started sending everyone home because we were dead, and it felt just like all those other nights. Sent home the busser, sent home one of the cooks, sent home the bartender, Chris, who knew uh, what was about to happen, and he's like laughing the whole entire time while he's putting everything away uh, to get out of there, but he didn't care. He, 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 he was totally cool missing the storm. Uh, and then she sent home the dishwasher, and that's when I knew we were in serious trouble. So it's about 9.45 that night, right? And uh, it's still dead. And I even remember for a minute there thinking like, man, maybe, maybe this will be that one year where, you know, we don't get hit. And all of a sudden, Stacy comes running into the kitchen. And she's like, oh my gosh, did you see all the people in the lobby? I said, let me guess. It's packed. She goes, there's so many people here. I mean, it is just, the line just goes forever. And I could see the look on her face of complete uncertainty about what to do. She knew we were going to get slammed. I stood in front of her as calm as I could. 
I put my I I I I put my hands up, trying to describe this best way I can. I remember putting my hands up, up against the front of my chest, and saying, "Look," and and keep in mind, I'm remembering what Martha did back at the Holiday Inn, and I'm telling her, "I've seen a situation like this before. Here's the way it was handled. Here's what I would recommend." And before I even get to start telling her about it, I mean, before I even get to the word cold cuts and things like that, she has this crazy look on her face. She shoots back with, you know, I really don't appreciate you acting like I'm not the food and beverage director around here. You may not like my decisions, but you're going to start respecting them. I didn't know what to say. Like, I, like what do you say to that? Like, here I am trying to come up with a solution that I thought, you know, that I've watched before. And I'm bringing this up because she has no experience in this way, right? And, and at the time, I'm 16, and I'm, I'm not always recognizing in the moment that even suggesting something like this could feel to her like I'm attacking her abilities to do the job or that I'm assuming she can't do the job. So I just immediately went back to work on preparing everything for room service. Because I knew it was mathematically impossible to serve that many people in a conventional way with the staff that we had. Even as much as I prepared, that was just to minimize the damage. I still knew I was going to be dead meat to a point, right? There was just no way. And these people standing in the lobby and about to come into the restaurant, they've been at the airport all day. They've had their plans derailed. They're exhausted. They're starving. They've been told no all day long. And they're pissed. They're pissed. The restaurant was a madhouse. She tries to now serve every one of these customers in the conventional way, like hostess, seating people, Jimmy running around. Jimmy was the name of the server. He's running around trying to serve tables. Like, there's no, you can't keep up with this. You can't. It's impossible. So I remember walking down the side. There's a little side hallway uh, that that is, like, dividing the kitchen and the restaurant, and I'm trying to sneak by there as fast as I could. Every phone call I took, I remember answering it with, thanks for calling room service. If you order cheese or pepperoni pizza, salad, drinks, or dessert, it'll be about 45 minutes to an hour. If you order anything else, it's two and a half to three hours at least. What can I get you? And we we close it like midnight, but I was more than willing to like uh, deliver past midnight just because I knew that these people were starving and that it was going to take a long time for me to get back and forth, you know, throughout the course of this. And I I remember people like, wait, how long? I'm like, order now because we got a lot of people. So I know it sucks, but this is the way it's going to be. And it sucked because people would, you know, put together the order and they would use like some of those very specific items that I had. And then they'd be like, oh, and, can I get a bowl of French onion soup? Can I add that on there? And I'm like, yep, now it'll be three hours. Well, you said it'd be 45 minutes. I'm like, well, now it's going to be three hours because you were ordering something outside of this very restricted menu. Or they'd be like, um, you know, they'd order a pizza, they'd get this and that. I'm like, great, 45 minutes. And then they'd be like, oh, can we get olives on that pizza too? And I'm like, yes, now it'll be three hours because now you're going outside. So anyway, my night was not fantastic either. But I was able to minimize some of the damage, make some decent, you know, to good money, limit the amount of complaints as much as possible. Still got them. And you try to do everything you can while fighting a battle that you're just never going to win. 
So you're just trying to lose by as less amount as possible. On the other hand, the restaurant, full of shouting. Our cook, Flavio, nicest, calmest guy ever, losing his mind, like furious, losing his mind. You could just see him frenetic. Stacy screaming at a bunch of different people. And our only waiter, Jimmy, who was there at the time, got so stressed out, he punched the wall. I didn't see this. I wasn't around for it. But I found out later, he got so stressed out, he punched the wall, and then he didn't realize it until later, but he actually had, like, a broken hand. He had, like, a small fracture of some uh, some sort, and he broke his hand. So now he's walking around, serving tables with a broken hand, furious customers. I still remember getting, like, stopped by people in that little hallway. Finally, people started, like, going to every area of the restaurant and hotel, and they're finding me in this hallway, and they're like, hey, do do you work here? Are you an employee here? And I'm like, uh, 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 yeah. And they're like, okay, you know what? This is ridiculous. We need silverware. We need drinks. We need this. We need that. And I'm pushing this cart of food, and I can't do anything to help them. I mean, I can't do anything. I, I mean, like, I, by, by the time I get done fulfilling all of these orders, my food's just going to sit there. And for all I know, they're just going to take the food off the cart. I mean, it is just a complete madhouse. So it was a nightmare. I made pretty... Decent to good money that night, but it, it was a disaster, and it was stressful. And it always reminds me of, like, one of the greatest lessons that I learned in one year, 1999, and the next year, 2000, and I was 16 and 17 years old at that time. When you are in a position of leadership or management, people find out what you really are, and if you're really equipped to do the job, in a time of crisis. What are you like in a time of crisis? Martha, very much like Adam Silver. Focused, poised, forward thinking about what to do and everything that was best for everyone involved. Emotionally intelligent, thoughtful of other people, genuinely caring about their concerns, won over every single customer, hostess, server, cook, dishwasher. Everybody that night realized they would run through a wall for Martha. Every one of those people. Like, we, we, we would do anything for her because we realized in that moment, wow, did she know how to handle a situation like that? And, and all she needed was wait 10 minutes, everybody, and got a chance to gather a bunch of stuff around. Adam Silver did an amazing job of on the fly and then with some patience and with everything else involved, did everything he could to be as proactive, as uh, did as good a job as anybody could in communicating listening to player concerns, making sure that he tried to fit everything that would need to be handled at the exact same time in a place that could be safe. I mean, he just he worked tirelessly on this. Stacy was like Rob Manfred, reactive, aloof, ignorant, dishonest, disconnected, tone deaf, pathetic. Pathetic. Stacy was completely incapable of handling that situation. Completely. She didn't have the experience or the expertise and refused to take any coaching in that situation. She knew she was in over her head. I mean, the moment that that she saw everybody there and everybody about to come in, she decided, I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that is it. And don't you dare question my abilities to do this. Uh, Now, knowing what I know now, I, I wouldn't have approached her and said, hey, here's what I would do, and here's what I saw before. She took that as, you know what, you're telling me I don't know how to do my job. Well, in that moment, it was true, because she didn't. 
And in this moment, for Rob Manfred, he doesn't either. It appears that way for Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball. I have never seen a bigger difference uh, in leadership and the ability to handle a crisis. I've never seen a bigger difference between, you know, Martha and Stacy, And I've never seen a bigger difference between how well and how poorly uh, this can be done than uh, Adam Silver and Rob Manfred. David Stern put the NBA in a really good place. Adam Silver has handled this situation so well in a moment of crisis when you really find out if that's what he should be doing. Should he really be there? Well, the answer is yes. Adam Silver had to do this in the middle of a season with unbalanced numbers, unbalanced games for teams, teams that were out of the playoffs, teams that were barely outside and still had a chance. You need to make it worth somebody's time to go all the way out there and spend all this time there. The pandemic is doing things that we're still not sure of at the time. He comes up with an idea that could work best for everyone financially, physically, mentally, also keeping business in a really good spot as much as he realistically can. He gets that he's going to uh, uh, have some damage financially here. Now he's just trying to minimize it. He gets that there's no perfect answer, so he has to go with best. Silver and Manfred didn't need to be perfect. But Silver comes up with a tremendous idea and gets everybody on board and is constantly going through these meetings. And yes, it took months to put it together and try to execute this. And I know it's not even a done deal yet, but he's at least given this product the very best chance. Just like Martha and the work she did there at the Holiday Inn. Manfred was dealing with this before the season even started. He had more resources, information, flexibility. And in the end, his sport is standing around looking really bad while billionaires and millionaires argue over money in the middle of a pandemic. With unemployment rates really high, people having their careers altered, people having their careers ruined, people having their careers ended, People with their businesses put to rest. People losing family members. People dealing with social injustices. Scared about the possibilities of what might be coming next with the pandemic, with the economy, with their personal situation. All of this happening, Silver couldn't appear to be more in tune with everything. Manfred couldn't look less capable of even starting the process. I mean, one day he's talking about a 100% chance the season is going to be played and it will go forward. Then you blink and he's talking about doubtful. How did you go there? How, how, like, what are you talking about? Who in their current job could ever say something like that and have people be like, you know what, I respect that. He's doing a great job. You know, it's, it's, it's really good work, man. Imagine a weather guy. Hey, folks, it's going to be 70s all weekend long. Get out the towels and the umbrellas and enjoy the beach. Then the next hour on the news broadcast, well, Linda, it looks like there's going to be a hurricane, so I'll have more for you 1030 tonight. Uh, hey, follow us on social media and be a part of our next giveaway. Like what, like who on earth, like how does that happen? I can't think of a profession where somebody could do a total 180 like that in a position of leadership and have that be respected. You see the players out there. They're like, tell us where, tell us when, let's go. Let's do it. Tony Clark is, he's been very um, uh, transparent through all this. Adam Silver's been transparent. Players have been transparent in the NBA. Players have been transparent with everything in Major League Baseball. And you got Rob Manfred around here standing around looking completely lost. 
Adam Silver has thought for everything. Uh, he's thought about everything for these players. Diet, making sure they have the right, you know, uh, people to make the foods that are needed for each individual diet, each team diet. He's caring about their mental state. He's prepared for that while they're in Orlando. Health precautions, stuff for them to do while they're there. Amazing work by this commissioner to think of everything. Part of leadership is, is getting a bunch of different people to be as close to being on the same page as possible, especially when they have a bunch of different motives and a bunch of um, uh, you know different ideas of how things should be done. He's very connected to the players and their concerns about social justice and the message they want to get out in this process. And he wants uh, this to be a situation where um, they can have that be a part of their return. He laid out the plan. I, I think this was brilliant. He laid out the plan and had two months of time for this to breathe. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. So the players could have conversations and express concerns. This gives Adam time and the league time to make whatever concession they need for the players and everyone else involved. It gives them a chance to polish this. It gives them a chance to tighten up any loose ends that maybe they're not thinking of. Because good leaders know and Adam knows that in order to do this right, you have to know what you don't know. And you got to listen. And if the NBA season doesn't get played, because, you know, you never know. I mean, things could change. You know it will be for health reasons or things that were just truly out of their control. That sucks. You shrug your shoulders. You go, man, dang. You know? You, you know that they exhausted every option possible to make this happen. If Major League Baseball doesn't happen, you know it'll be because of money and incompetence in positions of leadership. It's unbelievable. And I'm, I'm sure that's happening in other businesses too. I bet there are some that are, are doing a great job of doing what they can for the people that they have that have done so much for them over the years and understanding uh, that they have to weather the storm the best way possible. And then there are others that have been a complete disaster and are going to blame COVID for the whole thing. And deep down, they know and others know uh, that they could have done a much better job and a much more efficient job uh, than what they have. Uh, to try and weather this storm. Like, like COVID-19, when we look back on it, it's not going to be good for anyone. No one's going to come out of that going, you know what, that was, that was a great time. That was a really good situation. It really was great for everyone. No, no, of course not. It was negative for everyone. But there are many that I think are going to be remembered for doing such a great job to do what they could in a bad situation, to make the most of a bad situation. That's silver. And, and it, for people in, in Silver and Manfred's position, it's easy to be the commissioner. Like when the season's operating the way it's supposed to, it's plug and play. It's easy to sit back in a suite at Bush Stadium on a Wednesday night, shake hands with people, have conversations, smile and appear to know what the hell you're doing. You know, kind of look like you're, you should be that guy. You just, you just look like you got it together. It's another thing to actually get to work and show that you're truly the best person for the job when things are a little different than what you expected. And quite frankly, I, I know I'm, I'm very frustrated about this, but maybe, I, maybe this is on me. Honestly, maybe this is on me. Maybe I shouldn't even be surprised. Manfred and Major League Baseball have been faking it for years. They've been faking it for a long time. We're making changes to the game. We are no longer going to make the pitcher throw four pitches to intentionally walk someone. Why? Well, we're trying to speed the game up, everyone. See, look what we're doing. 
What a joke. You're saving 30 seconds every, what, three games? And you're claiming that, that like, that's going to take your games from 318 to 235? <laughs> like, no, you're not. No. No, never mind. We are going to limit the number of mound visits per game. See, we need a place on the scoreboard so people can keep track of who has how many mound visits left. What are you talking about? Tell me the last time you ever watched a baseball game under these new rules and thought to yourself, oh my gosh, interesting situation, guys. Interesting. What are they going to do? They're almost out of mound visits. They're almost out of mound visits. What's this manager going to do? How is he going to manage this? I mean, it's a bunch of crap, and it's gone on forever. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, okay, maybe it was 18 years ago. <laughs> but you know my point. Uh, that all-star game that ended in a tie in Milwaukee. Now, I wasn't so upset that it ended in a tie. What I was upset about was that they had no plan in place. Like, they, they never once discussed having a plan for something like that happening. Really? So you see Bud Selig standing up in his seat, first baseline with his hands out like, oh, I don't know, you tell me. Maybe we could have him do a paper, rock, scissors tournament. I mean, just like completely confused, lost, doesn't know what to think. I mean, like, what were you guys doing in your offices during all of those years and over all of these days? Did someone ever bring this up? Did you ever, in a meeting, just like have somebody confront you with this? Like, hey, what if we're tied and teams are out of pitchers? And what did you say? Did you just say, well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Or we'll, we'll just play it by ear. One of my favorites. I had a boss once throw that at me. A real disaster about to happen. And I asked this person, like, what do we do? Well, we'll just, we'll just play it by ear. Well, what exactly does that mean? Oh, we'll just take it as it goes. What? Like, what? <laughs> and that's clearly what was going on. Complacency at its finest. So, uh, like I said, like Stacy looked like a great food and beverage director, just like Manfred probably looked like a great commissioner, just sitting around shaking hands with a nice suit on and looking good. And, you know, so Stacy looked like a great food and beverage director and the job was easy when Alicia was handling business at the front desk, Pam, Jimmy, Donna, and yes, those were their real names, uh, were always on top of it serving tables. Uh, Flavio and Isidro were fantastic in the kitchen. And by the way, I'd put those dudes up against anybody when it came to making food. Any food. They were unreal. Uh, I was doing my thing in room service and serving tables. Chris is still the best bartender I think I will ever see. He took it personally, by the way. He wanted five-star work all the time. Not the point. So while all of this is going on, she can walk around and appear to be this fantastic person in a position of leadership. You know, every meeting, sitting there. Well, uh, how's everything looking there? We're looking great. Well, revenue's up. Yep, we're looking great. Great job, Stacy. Thanks. And I'm sure she walked around and genuinely believed, you know what, I got this thing down. I know what I'm doing. But what was going to happen when the storm hit? Because Martha knew what she was doing from the start. And it showed when it mattered most. So I think that Silver deserves an enormous amount of credit for working tirelessly on doing what it takes to make the best out of a really difficult situation. He couldn't look better as the man for the job. Manfred looks like a two-bit phony fake. It looks like a guy who played fake it till you make it and then made it and has no idea what to do now. If baseball doesn't have a season and the NBA is able to salvage what they can out of theirs, I think Major League Baseball will lose even more people than they did back in 94. And this time, 
they won't get them back. There won't be a Sosa-McGuire race good enough. There won't be a World Series like 2001 that grabbed the emotions of so many out there. There won't be enough in the emotional bank account. It won't happen. I love baseball as much as anyone, and I'm going to be around it all the time no matter what. Just That's my personal connection to it. I love the game. But I don't blame others for feeling different. Because for many out there, the whole teary-eyed mystique of hot dogs and summer air and parent and child and the crack of the bat and take me out to the ball game, that'll come to an end really quick when dealing with real-life stuff. Because for many people out there, America's pastime is in danger of being a thing of the past. Thanks again for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast. You can connect with me on all channels of social media. We appreciate you with all of the great feedback. You can email me, uh, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. uh, Even TikTok. I got to put up some more videos here at some point. uh, At TonyParks801. 801 as well. Big thanks to uh, Spence Checkets who had me on uh, with the drive on ESPN 700 uh, earlier this week. Last week, uh, I was on in uh, St. George with ESPN Radio with Devin Dixon and company. Always a lot of fun. Always a lot of great conversations. And as always, you can catch me right here on the Utah Podcast Network. Grand-a-pop.